Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. A lot can happen in the next three years. Like a chatbot may be your new best friend. But what won't change? Needing health insurance. United Healthcare tri-term medical plans are available for these changing times. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer budget-friendly, flexible coverage for people who are in between jobs or missed open enrollment. The plans last nearly three years in some states, with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. So for whatever tomorrow brings, United Healthcare tri-term medical plans may be for you. Learn more at UH1.com.
ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to Getting It Out Podcast. That was These Beasts, the song Cocaine Footprints. Reminds me of a lot of my friends in Baltimore, Maryland. They didn't leave many footprints, but they left a lot of scratched up CDs. Anyway, that song comes off of their new album, Cares, Wills, and Wants. It was actually released back on April 21st. But it's okay if you're just catching up now. It's worth it. Dive in. There are three piece. You might call it noise rock. You might call it sludge. You might call it pummeling, sludge, and frantic noise rock. You might call it whatever the fuck you want to call it. I don't care what you call it. I call it cool. I call it good. I call it something that I like. From Chicago. And maybe you could tell. Maybe not. I don't know. They didn't murder their dad due to gambling debt like some Michael Jordans do. But these guys, these beasts, did murder it with that song and the full album Cares, Wills, Once. It's available now everywhere, so you should have gotten it by now. But in case you missed out, I want to give you five seconds to go get it. Okay, you got it? Good. Now, I want you to look at the, flip it over, look at the back. What record label put that out? Magnetic Eye Records. And that's the subject on this episode of the podcast. I'm talking to Jad Schickler, the guy who runs the label. And we're talking about all sorts of stuff. A lot of it has to do with the Redux series, but most of it, all of it actually ultimately has to do with Magnetic Eye Records, of course. So I'm going to get into that. I'm going to give you what you want as far as that goes. But first, I'm going to give you what you need. And that's a little hot zone. I'll tell anybody who asks, and I'll tell you right now, that spring is my favorite time of the year. The neighborhood yard sale is this weekend. What's better than that? Ready to sell the Swing Hits vinyl box set once and for all. But this week, last week, the following week have been absolutely miserable for me personally here uh, in my little world. And hopefully that's all coming to an end soon. But it doesn't look good right now. And uh, I don't really want to share that with you. I just wanted to share that I like this time of year. I just wish it were a little more enjoyable right now. But thankfully, there is plenty of things to be happy about. One of which is the upcoming Magnetic Eye Redux for Super Unknown. The Soundgarden album that you know from the 90s. It was great. It was released uh, back when, I don't know, what year? 93? I'm going to guess. I think we talk a little bit about that release year, but I forget. But anyway, I've loved these Redux series albums that Magnetic Eye Records has been putting out for the last few years. And when I saw another one pop up, I said, hey, by the way, I'm doing label spotlights this year and I want to talk to this label. Uh, Jad Schickler is the guy for the job. And he's who I spoke to for this interview about Magnetic Eye Records. If you're familiar with psychedelic sludge, doom, uh, stoner stuff, it's probably on this label. There's some noise rock too. Anyway, it's chock full 
of good records, good bands. And uh, this upcoming Super Unknown Redux features a lot of them. And uh, I could read you the whole list, but you're going to have to go Google that yourself. I have it right here in front of me, but I refuse to read it to you. Go figure it out or listen to us talk about it. But first, I'm going to play you a song from Magnetic Eye Records. It's not from the Super Unknown Redux. It is from Ocean Lord. They've got a new record coming out very soon called Kingdom Cold. This song is the second track off it. It's called 2340.
So uh, tell me about what you've been doing. What's the brief Magnetic Eye history? Uh, so the label was founded, uh, by a musician, uh, named Mike Vitale. He was in a couple different bands, a bunch of different bands, actually, uh, Iron Weed, Great Day for Up, uh, several others. I don't even know them all. Uh, he's from upstate New York. He founded the label himself. It was kind of a bedroom label. Uh, I think in the beginning of the second decade of the two thousands, um, and he had pretty diverse music taste. He was all over the place in terms of like, he did some, some straight ahead metal stuff. He did some hardcore stuff. He did some hip hop, uh, all over. But the, the, the stuff that really, I think very immediately was resonating was kind of the doom and stoner stuff. Um, okay. he did an early record from a Boston band summoner. Uh, he, was very early, uh, to discover uh, elephant tree who, you know, now is a pretty known and beloved band in the scene, but he was there first before anybody knew them. Um, and he simultaneously had this brilliant idea for this redux. I think he, he sort of framed it to me once as he was kind of, he's a big kind of music history guy, uh, as I, I am also, um, and just, you know, kind of respecting and, and being aware of the landscape of, of, the, you know, the bands and the musics and the records that have inspired everybody and that, that have come before that laid the groundwork for, for what we have now. And he, I think he said, he kind of had this thought that it was very possible that people could be, we're entering a phase of, I don't know, human music listening where people could just have, you know, start listening to music at whatever age and just have never heard some of these classic albums from rock or metal. And he was like, wouldn't it be cool if I could just kind of reimagine one of these and bring it back, bring it to the, to them in, in a present day way. And that was the impetus for the first Redux, which was uh, the Jimi Hendrix one. Uh, he did electric Ladyland, and he had the idea. There've been tribute albums for decades. Uh, there's labels that are dedicated to tribute albums, but he had what I thought was the stroke of brilliance to take that record instead of cherry picking, like here's a bunch of, covers from a band's catalog let's take a classic album and reimagine it from end to end start to finish every track whether it's the hits or the deep cuts or you know even just the little you know the the songs that just kind of are connecting connective pieces um and uh and so he did that with hendrix because hendrix was a big um uh, musician in his life and, and it went well and it got a ton of response. And that first redux, he had all them witches, he had elder, he had elephant tree, uh, he had Wofat. Um, so a bunch of bands at, at the time when the whole stoner doom thing was coming back into kind of a new Renaissance, you know, I, I've been working in it since the late nineties, but I had, I, you know, I, I ran a record label called Meteor City. I started a web store called All That's Heavy with my partner back the, in the late 90s. Um, and and we had done it for 10 years or so before we both uh, kind of exited music and went on to do other things. And so I was just coming back to it as a fan uh, at the time, you know, in the the early 2010s when he was starting to build up Magnetic Eye. And when a lot of folks were kind of rediscovering a love for the style of music. And so I got involved with the label because I was a fan of Elephant Tree. I was doing so, I was writing for a, for a blog and I got in touch with him and he kind of invited me to come get involved with the label. And when he found out that it, what my background was and what I had already done. And so 
I got involved with the label. We worked on it together for a couple of years and he was always kind of interested in the possibility of transitioning out and, and having some like maybe a larger company see the value of what magnetic guy was doing in terms of the ideas and maybe take it on and kind of turn it from a one man, two man kind of project into an actual company. And so the, yeah, I would say in like mid 2019, um, band year of the Cobra that, uh, we released a EP from them. They had gotten signed to prophecy, which is a, a German kind of avant-garde metal label. And through that connection and the fact that we had a release from year of the Cobra prior to that, uh, I got in touch with the owner of prophecy and I pitched him on, um, Hey, would you be interested in acquiring magnetic eye and making it, you know, bringing it under the umbrella of what you do and maybe standardizing some of it and, 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 and figuring out some of the things that, that need a little bit more, uh, you know, there's, there's nothing romantic about it, but look like maybe better, you know, kind of cleaner, better, more reliable, efficient thing systems in place since as opposed to just sort of two guys kind of just going, all right, what needs to be done? Let's, we have, we have, you know, we got one week to get all this stuff together. Um, and yeah. so he was up for it and we worked out a situation where he purchased the label from Mike, the original owner and brought me on as the label director, which I had already kind of been doing in an informal way for a couple of years at that point. And so as of January of 2020, magnetic, I became part of this larger, company. Um, I continued to do what I was already doing, but now there was, you know, having some of their systems and so forth in place and was able to keep doing it. And one of the things that I think attracted him to it was this, this combinate, this kind of two pronged approach where on one hand we sign bands that we think are great to, you know, we work with, work with them to develop them, release cool records. And then on the other side, we have this Redux series, which like I said, you know, Mike started it with Electric Ladyland. His second one was one for Helmet. Uh, he did Meantime from start to finish with a handful of extra tracks. And then the third one was actually took place once I was part of the, the, the label, which was uh, the Pink Floyd one. And so he uh, he came to me and uh, I, 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 I've told a version of this story before. I, I don't, I don't want to like make it sound more ridiculous than it is, but he basically came like, on, I think it was a Friday afternoon. He's like, all right, I figured out what our next redux is. I said, great. What is it? He's like, it's Pink Floyd, the wall. I'm like, Oh, cool. When are we doing it? Who do we have? He's like, well, we're doing it right now. I just started the Kickstarter. So we have 30 days to figure out who's going to be on board. And I'm like, <laughs> so we have no bands yet. We have nothing, nothing like in place. He's like, Nope, we got 30 days though to, to basically turn it into something and make people excited enough about it, that they want to back the project. And, uh, and, 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 you know, get their essentially their Kickstarter pre-orders in uh, now <laughs> to, to make this thing a reality. So, yeah, that was my uh, that was my kind of seat of the pants uh, introduction to. Oh, OK, here's I guess I have to learn how to put together a, a redux. Like and then I'm just, you know, again, having having done a tribute album in the past myself and, and having a, th a bit of a thought like, okay, so, you know, you kind of look at the track list and you go, what would you, what, what would get people excited? Well, maybe if this band was doing this, or maybe if this band was doing this, or if you just heard that this band was involved in some way, it doesn't even matter which song they were doing. And then you can kind of go, all right, if we have that handful of bands in place doing these tracks, now we can kind of fill up the rest with whoever we like and whoever we want 
they don't necessarily have to be huge name getters uh, or attention getters, you know, huge names that uh, we can just go, we know they're going to, we're going to do something cool, whether people know about them or not, maybe this will be how people find out about that band. So yeah, worked for kind of a, a blinding month on that and was able to get, uh, you know, Paul Bearer, um, ASG, Sasquatch, Mark Lanigan, Scott Reeder, uh, the Melvins all to do tracks on that Pink Floyd record. And that was a, and it was a great experience. That's, ex- that's exactly how I found out about Magnetic Eye. Exactly the way you're talking about. It was because Paul Bear was on it. And mm. I saw Paul Bear. I think what they do, Run Like Hell, maybe. Yep. Yep. saw that track and well, what, what the fuck is this? And, oh, it's a whole tribute album. Okay. What's, you know, and that's, and that sent me down the uh, magnetic eye rabbit hole was yeah. Paul bear being involved. Also, I just wanted to point out just for the hell of it, cause it's fun. The uh, electric Ladyland, I think you had Gozu on that one, mm-hmm. which is actually the episode that I put out today. Was it, it was an interview with Gaff from Gozu. So just a little oh, yeah. connective thing there. Um, and and that looking back on that track list and those, I actually just yesterday I was listening to the helmet and the, uh, the Jimi Hendrix one and just the, the bands that were on there. Some of the stuff that I really love King Buffalo, which is like the best, the best band I've seen this year by far. Mm-hmm. Um, but there's just so much cool shit on these things. And there's so much to dive into and bands to discover exactly like you're saying the thing that, um, I am interested in how you guys decided to take this down the Kickstarter route. Why do, why do, why do you do it that way? Well, Mike was the one who did it by Kickstarter first. And that's because all of this stuff was very new and it was almost kind of like testing to see what would work. Bandcamp was new. Kickstarter was new. And it was like all these kind of new platforms for getting attention and shining a light and ways to distribute music. You know, I mean, digital was very new was really, you know, it wasn't like it is today where it was, uh, I mean, it's, it's funny to talk about something that, that happened, you know, a, a period of time, 11, 12 years ago, as though it's ancient <laughs> history, but in a way yeah. it, it is in that, you know, Spotify wasn't ubiquitous. Bandcamp wasn't known to everybody. It wasn't, the stuff wasn't as sort of figured out and standardized as it is now. It was all kind of like, wow, I wonder which of these will work. There's probably five other platforms that were, that were looking really promising right then that I don't know the names of, and I couldn't tell you what they were, but it's very possible that we were all going, I wonder what about this one? I wonder about this one. I wonder if this one. Mm. So at the time, yeah, Kickstarter was a pretty, it was just sort of a new and exciting way. I mean, the, the clock, I think is a part of it, this idea of like, you got 30 days to back this project and we're, you know, it's kind of a race on the project creator side to make it interesting and appealing, get the word out as best you can to reach this threshold uh, where you actually get your funding. It also creates a sense of excitement and urgency for the music fans and the, and the potential supporters like, oh, I wonder what's going to happen next. And so, you know, I, he had done it, but I don't know if he did it with any real... Um, kind of plan in place. And so when, when we started the, the wall one, he basically said, all right, I started the Kickstarter. Here's the login details. And I just quickly went, okay, I've got to basically fill up this record with cool bands while also figuring out how to get the word out and create some buzz around this project. And so I was simultaneously like doing social media posts, writing web copy, while also reaching out to bands and managers and booking agents and stuff, trying to get a hold of people that I thought would be cool on the project um, and getting them to say yes in fairly short order. Like basically not just could I get somebody, but could I come up with somebody, reach them, get them to pick a song, get them to say yes, all within this short window of time so that I can announce it and make a big deal of it so that people 
are excited and you know jump on board. Um, I'm still actually stunned looking back at that track list that we were able to put it together so quick, um, especially some of the bands we were able to get. Yeah. No, it's it's pretty impressive the way you guys put these together, especially like um, this 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 latest one, the Super Unknown from Soundgarden. Yeah. How you like the you you slowly rolled out um, the roster who was on it. Um, there's a lot of names that I recognize. I can't think off the top of my freedom Hawk frail. Uh, I don't horse burners on there. You know, I, I, off the top of my head, I can't think of, think of them all, but it's a lot. Right. And you guys have started basically doing the second record that goes along with it. The best of right thing too, which is just, it's, it's all very cool. And it just seems, it seems so unique to me, but like you mentioned, it's not, you're not the first people to do tribute records. And then you right. did them yourself. You did it with, with Meteor City, right? You had a, at least one I had an Iron there, Maiden right? one. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. So it's not a, it's not an entirely new concept, but you found a way to make it like so unique and, and to me interesting. And I think, I think one of the cool things is how they, whether uh, intentional or not all kind of linked together by being part of like this series. Um, tell me about the, the, the way you decide which records to, to do because it seems like there could be some obvious choices and then i don't know i don't know sure. super unknown is the most obvious choice for soundgarden i think it's my favorite but you know that's just yeah me. well i i that that one was actually a little bit of a of a pivot um but in general i mean it, it not to make it sound like an ego thing but it started out mike was just sort of picking albums that he considered to be classics and going, you know, I mean, if you ask anybody who's sort of, you've got, who's got some understanding of, of rock history and metal history, and you say, you know, name the name, who you think are the 10 most important bands, right? If you ask 10 different people, you're probably going to get a few different outliers, but a lot of the same bands in common sure. right? to say, who are the same, who are the most important bands? Okay. Let's do a tribute to them versus like, let's pick like singular records that, that almost like, the, the album made an impact or was important for a particular reason, not just, is it an important band, but it is important kind of point in music history and rock history in, you know, like a, that signal, the change in what was going on with, with listening or with, you know, with popularity, with what was mainstream or what was coming up to replace what had been mainstream. Um, I think those are all factors. And so, you know, it started out like Mike just loved Jimi Hendrix. And then he loved helmet, but that, but that first one, two punch of going super classic, like you could essentially think of, of Hendrix as uh, almost classic rock uh, to a degree, but then helmet, which was right, you know, happening right around at the same time as grunge, but they weren't grunge, but they were, you know, they were, they had their own appeal and their own significance, but to pick those two, you've immediately said several things about this redux thing. Like it's not going to just be classic rock. It's not just going to be picking 45, 50 year old albums. Like we're going to pick records that kind of independently of when they came out that had significance and meaning to this style of music that we're working in now. And Classic rock has a, a significant imprint on stoner rock and doom, but so does grunge and so does early eighties metal and so does punk. And so none of that stuff should be off the table. And so, you know, with him picking those first couple and then going back to Pink Floyd, which in your mind, if you're thinking like, who's a band that's that we're, that we're going to cover other than like a handful of songs, most people are not probably picking Floyd because Floyd <laughs> yes. is Floyd. Like, you know what I mean? Like, how are you going to do justice? Can't fuck with it. Yeah. Yeah. So, 
when it kind of, you know, after those three and it started transitioning over to me being the one picking these records, I was kind of trying to continue that ethic of, I'm thinking back across decades of music history and I'm thinking about the stuff that I listen to now. I'm thinking about the stuff that I listened to 10 years ago, 20 years ago and going, what was, what had an impact, what, what influenced or inspired or was the, the foundation behind that thing. And so it's a really fun exercise um, for somebody who cares about 50, 60 years of, of rock and, and, and metal history. Um, so I think I find it really exciting to go, okay, what else, what would be obvious? And then what would be completely feel like out of left field when somebody first hears it and goes, wait, they're doing that. Like really that, but then, and then they think about it and go, well, yeah, actually I've been listening to that record for like 27 years. So of course they're doing that. Like that makes sense. So at this point, it's basically me picking, picking the projects. Uh, I've, kind of gotten things to a point where I'm now working on usually three or four of them at a time because it takes like that, that, that Pink Floyd thing was ridiculous. That, that fact that I was able to get those bands together in a month, I've never been able to get all the bands together in a month since then. Um, usually it takes several months, but that's why I'm kind of now going, all right, I've got this one in the works, this one in the works, this one in the works. And then we just, I kind of stagger them out. And when they all come together and all the music falls into place, we go out with it. Um, and so you know, I was involved with the Alice in Chains one. I, you know, helped same thing with the Sabbath one. Uh, the, the ACDC one is the first one that I put together entirely on my own. And that was actually both ACDC and Soundgarden in each case was kind of like one or two albums. It was like, oh crap, wait, is it, should it be Highway to Hell or should it be Back in Black? And there's arguments for each. And Soundgarden, it's, Fuck, is it bad motor finger or is it super unknown? You know, and I'm thinking back to my personal experience. I'm thinking yeah. about the significance in the band's career. I'm thinking about which one might actually have sort of be saying more that is picked up in the music that we release now. And then maybe which one would be more fun, which one would be a little more surprising. So there's, there's a lot of consideration in that regard. I mean, back in black, I guess it, technically is a bigger album than highway to hell. But if you ask any, any band in our scene, if they like ACDC, almost certainly they're going to say they like Bon Scott ACDC, but right. they might not all say Brian Johnson ACDC, but yet back in black turned out to be a great, really fun record to do. And Soundgarden, everybody says bad motor finger is like their record in terms of like they're lying. When they discovered the band. They're lying. Well, and, and I was trying to be, and, and I'll be honest, I was trying to be honest with myself. Cause I started off going, I think it will do bad, bad motor finger. And the more I thought about it, I'm like, which one do I actually listen to more? Which one have I always kind of listened to more? Which one? Oh, as far as, as far as the impact, the, yeah, I mean, that's what, when you're, when you're discussing how, how you made this decision, it makes total sense. It's like, well, yeah, it has to be super unknown. I know some people will tell you that ultra mega. Okay. Is the best sound garden, you know, and that, oh, like, of <laughs> And I don't, that's not right. That's, that's, that's incorrect. But, but it's, I like, I like the way you're describing the process here, but then I love like to pick like a big record, like let's say the dirt one. Um, I think that's dirt to me is like a perfect record. I can listen to that thing every day. Oh yeah. Agreed. You know, and agreed. That even the hits, this is a record where even the hits haven't gotten annoying, you know, in a weird way, just an, you know, overexposure kind of way. And to hear like, I'll say my favorite track on all of these Redux uh, 
records is Howling Giants cover of Rooster. And like, th- like there's just songs that like, wow, like I didn't expect them to take, even though I know they're a great band, I didn't expect, expect them to do what they did with it. And there's a lot of that throughout all these redux things where you, you know, some people in my mind miss and some of them just fucking nail it. And like Howling Giant just nailed it with the way that they changed that song to their style. And it's just so cool to get that over and over and over. Well, imagine how I feel because I'm basically telling all these bands when we get them on board. All right. So look guys, the, the point here is to make this your own. You yeah. can do whatever you want. You can do a faithful cover if you want, but this might be somebody's first time hearing your band. And so how do you kind of take, do the most with that, that you can pay homage, be respectful and reverent toward the original, but also do something that is you so that it will leave an impression on somebody who might be hearing you for the first time. And maybe you make a new fan while mm-hmm paying tribute to this other band. And I agree with you. Then when all the tracks come in, sometimes there's hits and sometimes there's misses. And sometimes I'm like, man, that was kind of a missed opportunity. Like they really, like they might've done a note perfect version, but we, I wasn't really, I mean, I didn't really want a note perfect version or, and and just because I, now we see that they can, doesn't, did they really, are they likely to turn somebody's head or make a new fan because they were able to cover the like, you know, down right. to, down to the length and the BPM of like, of the, of the original, like, I don't, I don't think so. Um, it's the ones like that where you go, wow, like that's a great, and that's a great example. Rooster, that's really, a, that's like the only song off dirt that I would not actively go back and re-listen to over the years. Dirt, man, Allison Chains was my first, my first grunge band. Like I was basically a huge Iron Maiden and Judas Priest fan in high school, grunge hit. And I liked Nirvana and I liked Pearl Jam. I loved Alice in Chains and Dirt was just flawless uh, from end to end. But but out of all of them, Rooster's like the one I, I would probably skip and I wouldn't go back and revisit. So the fact yeah. that Howling Giant was able to take that song and transform it into something not just listenable, but like you just can't, you can't get enough of it, of how yeah. to do it. Um, <laughs> and so, and, and that, but that sets the bar for like, now I, now I want everybody to do that. When I, when I, you know, when we lock in the, the, the tracks and the bands and we're talking, I'm trying to express to them what they should consider trying before they go do it. I'm not, I'm not necessarily giving them that song, but I'm basically saying what I just said to you, which is, you know, we, we don't really want faithful covers here. I mean, you can do whatever you want, but this is your chance to, to really kind of show who you are in the context of uh, paying homage to this band. And I think that a lot of folks will find that that, happened with the Soundgarden one. Like I'm really anxious to start. We're going to start debuting songs uh, from that in the second week of May. So uh, not long, not long. We're going to, we're going to probably roll out uh, a half dozen singles between the super unknown redux and the best of Soundgarden redux between mid May and the actual release date for the two of them, which is in July. It's nice. Well, you've, you've got your own band too, right? Blue Heron. I do. You do. do. And, and you're on this one, correct? Yeah. Well, you know, <laughs> no, I, 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 I don't blame you at all. I would be doing the same thing. Um, but so that makes me curious. Do you pick last or first? <laughs> uh, I try to balance out the, uh, 
I don't know, is it considered nepotism when it's your own band and your own label, uh, whatever, whatever, yeah. whatever the equivalent uh, terminology yeah. to nepotism would be. But I, I, I don't mind giving us a little inside track on some things, but I try not to just, I try not to just hoard opportunities for ourselves that when I feel like other deserving bands should have, uh, should have a shot. So I tend to not like, for example, everybody wanted to do 4th of July. There's no chance in hell I would have given us 4th of July because it's right. like that, that, that just would be a terrible look. Like, Oh, look, the asshole who runs the label gave his own band 4th of July. What a surprise. Um, but, uh, no, I, fortunately, um, our guitarist had, had a, and I actually knew this before I was even working on the project, had a Soundgarden song kind of in his back pocket for years that he was always kind of like, he would, I've been in bands with him since early 2000. We were in a band called Spirit 2 together. And then, then mm-hmm. we, you know, we got back together and formed their current band, Blue Heron. And uh, he always wanted to do this particular Soundgarden track. And he'd always kind of just mentioned it in passing. And I think we even tried it once or twice and just never really, never really pursued it. And so it wasn't one that I knew what to be like on anybody's like, these are my top 15 sound garden songs. I don't think I'd right. ever even heard anybody else talk about it. So I'm like, that's an easy one. All right. We'll just take that. And now I won't feel bad or feel weird. that <laughs> We like stole a track that everybody else <laughs> would have been fighting over. So yeah, I, uh, I, I, tr- I try to keep things reasonably in balance where I can actually make, make a, make a solid case for why we have a slot and what, how we ended up with what we ended up with alongside all these other great bands. How would you like to look five years younger? In a clinical study, people that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment. Look younger, feel like you. Add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. Reverse signs of aging by adding volume to smooth laugh lines with Juvederm Volure XC. For important safety information and to find a licensed specialist, visit Juvederm.com. That's J-U-V-E-D-E-R-M.com. Not for people with severe allergic reactions, allergies to lidocaine, or the proteins used in Juvederm. Common side effects include injection site redness, swelling, pain, tenderness, firmness, lumps, bumps, bruising, discoloration, or itching. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's right for you. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Well, the, uh, <clears throat> sorry, the, the release of the Redux or the timing one way or another kind of lines up with the 30th anniversary of the original record is that an intentional yeah. thing you try to do with with these or that's just a happy accident here for this one honestly i i don't pay any attention to it certainly what i'm like choosing just because 
there's so many variables that could, that could come right. into play in terms of when something gets released that I, even if I really wanted to, I couldn't, I don't think I'd be able to time something where like we choose a project, line up all the bands, get all the tracks, get everything into production, get the release date and it lands. Oh, perfect. That 25 years ago today, this record came out. So, but I was conscious of it that we were coming up on it. I actually thought it was 30 years this year until I, I checked maybe a couple months ago. I'm like, Oh, it's 29 years. So it's 30 years next year. Right. Um, so uh, but I, it's, it's, it's close enough that I'm like, yeah, this is, this is, this feels kind of like a nice, satisfying timing. You know, I mean, I was like, like a lot of people, I mean, it really, it really hit me hard losing Chris Cornell. And so, um, the timing feels good to be kind of revisiting something that's been a part of my musical life. I mean, Soundgarden in general and super unknown in particular, pretty much since I was, really kind of forming a lot of the music tastes that I still have now. I mean, I, I, I still respect Iron Maiden, but I don't listen to them the way I did when I was 16. Um, right. Whereas I still listen to Soundgarden. I still listen to Alice in Chains and a lot of the bands that I discovered when I was 18, 19 and so forth. And when that, then this, when this stuff really became formative. So mm -hmm. uh, yeah, the timing for me is, is perfect. And it just adds to it that, that we're coming right up on an anniversary. I, it, I do think it's so impressive how all these moving parts come together to put these things to how you put them all together with all these different, just so many different bands and so many different songs and timing and schedules. It's, it's gotta be a bitch to figure out, but you seem to have a system down um, system is a strong word, but I, 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 I have, <laughs> I've figured some things out. Yeah. Yeah. Well, whatever it is, whatever it is, it's, it's, it seems, it seems to be working. Um, but then like you, like we talk about, you balance that with the, the actual, like the normal record label stuff with magnetic eye too. Yeah. Um, and, and it seems like last year seemed like a little bit of maybe a light, lighter year for releases for you guys. Um, yeah, a lot of that had to do with production stuff, which I mean, every label will tell you that they were, yeah. you know, coming coming out of um, coming out of 2021 yeah. uh, with and, and so forth, and just kind of adapting and adjusting to release schedule stuff um, was challenging. And so, and yeah, so we had, I think we had four or five records last year, which, which isn't nothing. Yeah, I can only think of three off the top of my head. It was uh, Ruby, the hatchet, which was mm -hmm. great. Um, I'm going to say the name wrong. Bez, 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 Yeah. Yeah. I was going to, yeah, I would never got it that right. Yeah. Uh, Caustic Casanova was that last year too. Yep. And then we had uh, the step and doom project, which was the That's throat it. singing yeah. doom metal thing. Yeah. And then we also did a re-release of, um, Restless Spirits last album because we signed them and mm. they had actually sold through their their own self-release. So we basically brought them in, announced the signing and and reissued that record um at the same time. But yeah, no, you I think you I think you have them all. Um, but yes, it was comparatively a smaller year, plus a lot of those came out in a really short time frame, right? Kind of towards the end of the year. So uh this year is is looking like it's basically like a record a month at minimum for most of the year. Um, well, that's what I was getting to. That was I was gonna yeah. say this year it seems like it's you're you're moving fast. It seems like there's a lot of records coming out. I know um I was just listening to Ocean Lord earlier today. I know that's not yet, but um that's that's coming. Um the Witch Ripper record. Well, Ocean Lord drops this month, actually, or this, I mean, uh, depending on when this is airing, I mean, the Ocean Lord drops in May. Um, 
yeah, we just had the the record from These Beasts come out um, yeah. a couple of weeks back in April, which is that, you know, essentially kind of almost like a sludgy noise rock record. Uh, the month before that was Witch Ripper out of Seattle. Um, and they just got back from a, from a killer tour. Um, they've got a song on the Soundgarden record. And then High Priest from Chicago comes out in June. And that's a great co- talk about Paul Bear and, and people who like kind of the melodic uh, soaring vocal doom thing. I mean, then go listen to High Priest because, yeah, that that band fits right in that wheelhouse. And then the Redux uh, records will be in July. And then, yeah, on through the end of the year, we've got a cool kind of German, almost post-metal doom band called Bees Made Honey in the Vein Tree. That will be August. New Domcraft will be, I'm going to mention some stuff that I have, hasn't even been formally announced yet, but why not? Uh, New Domcraft will be September. New Restless Spirit will be early October. New Howling Giant will be late October. Um, New Heavy Temple will be end of November or very beginning of December, probably the last record of the year. And then one more big project that I'm not going to announce yet, but but kind of a pretty big show closer for the year for us. So, yeah. Well, I love getting all that, especially uh, New Restless Spirit, Howling Giant, Heavy Temple, all those bands. Yeah. Big, big fan of all of them. That, uh, that Witch Ripper, I, I, I only want to bring it up because that song Enter the Loop, which I know was like the early single that you put out mm-hmm. at, towards the end of the last year. I, that That's one of those tracks that I could never hear enough of. I play that thing all the fucking time. It's I don't, it's super long, too, and I don't care. I just I, I love I love the journey of that track. There's Magnetic Eye has become a label that I like totally trust everything that's on that. These Beast awesome. records that you just put out was great, too. Um, they, awesome. Like there's not there. I can't think of anything I listened to from you lately. That's that's doesn't hit the mark. It's, is this all you, are you the guy who's picking everybody? Uh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, pretty well, I much. like your taste. Um, then. <laughs> thanks. No, I mean, uh, you know, it's funny. Like I've had conversations with my wife. My wife is not a fan of the music that I work with. Um, <laughs> and she's asked me in the past, I think other people, my, my, my parents used to ask me about this. Like, why, why wouldn't you want to do other stuff? You listen to other stuff, which I do, you know, I listen to singer songwriter stuff. I listen to this, I listen to jazz, whatever, but like, why wouldn't you want to put out a wider array of stuff? Like, well, you can do that. I think if you're a different kind of company to me, I've always felt like it made sense to be the kind of record label where people don't even have to know the band. If they, if you develop a level of trust in and kind of reliability in the quality of what you do in a certain area that, that, that your listeners or fans like they can get to a point where they don't, necessarily need to know every time that they love this band already they can kind of go well it's you know it's, it's magnetic guy or mm-hmm. it's meteor city or it's blues funeral and this is they, they pretty much always dig what they do so like that that to me is is a desirable uh aesthetic to have for any record label and the i mean the word quality in 2023 is probably is so overused, but I mean, I, I just, I think it's, I think it's critical. Like I would have to, I view this stuff as like, like I own my own label and I run magnetic eye. Magnetic eye is not my money. Blues funeral is my money, but I treat them the same in terms of would I want to sink five grand, 10 grand into this band. Would I feel good putting that money into this band, whether it's my money or not. And if I do, that tells me they are of that quality level where I'm, 
I'm hundred percent behind it. Let's put it out. Let's get behind them. Let's put the, the label's name on this band. And I think that comes across, uh, to folks when we're, you know, presenting new albums and new bands, especially ones that nobody that, that you know, that, that haven't had a lot of exposure yet. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's all me. I, I, I certainly get, um, pitched on bands from a lot of different places. I get introduced to bands from a lot of different folks. Some sometimes, I mean, Witch Ripper is a great example that actually came to, to me from somebody at another label. And my first question when I heard, when I heard it and dug it was, why aren't you guys putting this out? And, they, and it right. was essentially a style thing that they thought it was too heavy for them. And I'm like, Oh man, thank you then. Cause fuck, <laughs> it's not, it's not too, it's perfect. For, it's perfect. <laughs> it's, it's certainly not too heavy for us. So yeah. Well, tell me about that. I, I mean, I know I know you do Blues Funeral too, and uh, it also put out one of my favorite records of last year. That Autolift record is oh, yeah. fucking incredible. Yeah. Um, how do you determine what's Blues Funeral, what's Magnetic Eye? Well, I mean, Blues Funeral is meant to be, to a degree, it's almost like an outlet for me to do something that I have absolute. Well, it's, it's, it's funny. It's, it's hazier now than it used to be. When I started Blues Funeral, uh, Mike was still the owner of, of Magnetic Eye. And while I was involved in a lot of aspects of Magnetic Eye, including some signings, he was still charting uh, that the course to a degree, um, and which was fine, which I enjoyed because I dug his taste. Uh, and so I just wanted something that was entirely mine where I didn't have to ask anybody's questions and I could go, I'm going to work with this band and... I'm going to put my money behind it. And if it goes great. And if it doesn't go, I only lost my own money. I didn't risk anybody else's label. I didn't have to ask anybody's permission or anybody else, you know, for their, their, their okay to go, to go for it. Um, since magnetic eye has become part of speaker, I actually have just as much for the, I would say, uh, kind of, of like the thumbs up and the green light to kind of do what I want, even though it's ultimately not me who's, who's paying for the stuff, which is pressure to make the right choices. And now I kind of separate them by if there's a band who I feel like, I guess I feel like magnetic eye is, is a tradi more traditional label in that we're trying to sign bands working with them for, for a few albums where I go, okay, I'd like mm -hmm. to actually bring this band into the fold and have them part of the roster. And they're going to be with us for the next five, 10 years. And we're going to do three albums, four albums, five albums. Whereas blues funeral, I really structured to be about as, um, unconstraining as possible to the bands where I could go to somebody like acid King and be like, Hey, I know you've had some less than stellar experience with labels in the past. How about we do one record where I basically am taking none of your rights. We're going to do one record. There's no future commitment to anything. So if it goes great, awesome. If you're not super stoked with how it goes, no problem. You're already free to go do whatever you want from here. And I did that just so that it would give me the freedom to go walk up to whoever I wanted to and be like, Hey, I've been a fan of your band for 20 years. I don't know where you're at on stuff, but would you want to do something? Um, and I can do that with magnetic eye too. But again, some bands who've been around longer, maybe who have a little, you know, more established history, they probably had some positive experiences, but they've also probably figured out some stuff about what they like to do on their own, their own way. And so they might be more, interested in self-releasing or working with a label that's just kind of almost more of a uh like a like a limited partner as opposed mm -hmm. to 
Magnetic Eye being a label where we're signing a band and going, we're, you know, we're your label. We're with you for the next 10 years to, to try to help take you from wherever you are. You're here. We want to get you to here. And we're going to do that through, through, you know, expanding of resources and promotion and having a larger team and having publicists on multiple continents and having connection and, you know, having a, an on staff, you know, social media guru and, and so forth. So, uh, yeah, some of the differences are maybe not apparent from the front end, but I think if you kind of look at, at the output of the two, um, you see a little bit of the difference, although stylistically you would think somebody who's going to dig records from one is going to dig records from the other, which I'm, yeah. Totally fine with and makes sense because it's, it's all mostly reflective of my taste. <laughs> right. Right. But, but when, <laughs> but given the insight as you just did, uh, it makes sense. I, I understand totally what, what you're talking about there. And that's, that's a cool way to operate. Uh, yeah. what you're doing with Blue's Funeral and Magnetic Eye too, of course, but you know, two different, two different options and, yeah. uh, not everything works the same for everybody else, but that's, that's very cool. So, uh, I want to go back to Redux stuff for a minute. Yeah. Um, what do you? How do you choose here? Who you're getting? Do you just have your little Rolodex of bands? And is there any? Is there any uh, intentional like continuation between oh, this band was on this? I want to have them back again, or are you just at random? Uh, it's all of what you just said. It is, I have bands that I'm just a fan of that. I'm like, someday I'm going to try to get them on something or I've already tried five times and we haven't yet, but I'm going to keep bugging them. And hopefully one of these times it'll work out. Um, it's sometimes it's bands that I just come, that I've come across that I'm like, Oh, it'd be cool. You know, they're kind of an under the radar band, but I bet they would do a great job at this. Um, certainly, Roster bands get a little bit of preferential treatment where, you know, I, once I fill up a certain number of slots, I kind of open things up to bands on the roster and go, Hey, we're doing this redux and this one in the next two years. If you have a particular affinity for either of those of the original artists and you want to be involved, let me know. And I'll make sure we, you know, we talk about it and figure out, find you a slot. Um, because I like that, you know, I like there to be, I don't think I would never, I would never think anybody would want to sign with magnetic eye to get on a redux, but I like that to be kind of a cool little perk. Like, Hey, these might come your way and, and, you know, maybe you'll get a chance to cover one of your favorite bands if we end up doing one of those records. Um, but it can happen through, I mean, a, a lot of it's very reliant on sort of my awareness of, of who's out there and, and who's, you know, who, which bands are great, which bands really get people's attention, which bands I think are awesome, which bands I think will do a great job in reimagining a song. Um, I mean, I could give you multiple examples. Um, I've got one, so I'm, I'm working on one for cream, uh, down the road and I'm not very far along on it. Uh, so my drummer will get a kick out of the fact that I'm going to tell the story on a podcast, but we played ripple fest last summer and, uh, Brant Bjork was playing. Uh, I don't remember if it was a, I think stoner was playing. So Brant was there and my drummer, huge Kaya's fan, huge fan of Brant Bjork. And so he tells me, my drummer tells me after the fact, he's like, Hey, I was like, I found Brant tonight. I was talking about all this stuff and I was talking about what, you know, I was kind of, fanboying out and telling him what an influence he was on my drumming and so forth. And Brent's comeback to him was, well, that's cool, man, because everything you get from me, I got from Ginger Baker. <laughs> and I probably heard this at 1am on a drunken night after playing, you know, watching a bunch of bands and so forth. But I filed that little nugget away. I'm like, oh, Ginger Baker and Brent. Okay. Let me <laughs> so, yeah. uh, so when we were at, uh, I think, 
maybe a couple of weeks after we got home, I, I shot a note to Branton as manager and just basically said, Hey, we're working on this. I'm, I just kind of started working on this, this, this cream redux down the road. And I haven't solidified any of my, my songs yet. So if Brant's into it, my drummer told me that he's a big Ginger Baker fan, love to have him on the record. And it worked out. Um, It's, it's actually the only song that I have uh, (laughs) confirmed for that project, but I figured like, might as well get this started now while this is fresh in my mind and I can see if if it could work out. And, And it did. And it's like, okay, cool. That, that was just a random little occurrence that happened because we happened to be in the right place at the right time. And my drummer happened to have a conversation and tell me about it. Um, That's a strong start too. Yeah. You know, I mean, like back when we were doing the wall, I mean, Mark Lanigan is one of my all time favorites. He's probably, it was my all time favorite singer. Mm-hmm. And I was listening, I was actually listening to the wall, the original with a really kind of uh, detailed ear because I knew there were songs that I had never paid attention to because mm-hmm. the wall is such a, you know, it's, it's, it's a huge record. It's an extensive record. And there's, you know, there's the big hits and then there's a lot of other tracks that if you've never really sat down with that record, you might not have really noticed or whatever. And the song, nobody home, there's a lyric, a line of lyrics uh, saying, I got nicotine stains on my fingers. And I heard that line of lyrics and I went, that sounds like something Lanigan would write. And I'm like, I have no idea how the hell I'm going to get in touch with Mark Lanigan, but I'm going to fucking try and I'm going to pitch him on this particular song. I'm not going to tell him why, but I'm just like, I'm just in my mind, I can hear his voice doing this song with a song, which I really had no prior experience with. I didn't have any particular, uh, you know, love for it or attachment to it. Um, but again, it worked out. I got to somebody and that person got me in touch with Lanigan and, and it ultimately worked out. And I basically got my favorite all-time singer to do a song that I handpicked for him on one of our Redux records. That's super cool. That's very cool. Um, and it, it made me think of the one question I wanted to ask. Do you ever have songs that you have trouble getting anybody to cover? Are there are like yeah. tracks that people just aren't interested in? Yeah, usually it's the biggest hit. Usually it's the biggest. Oh, real? Um, <laughs> what's the, uh, what's the one? the, the, what's the, it's not another, is it another brick part two? That's the. Yeah, probably. I mean, that's. We that's, don't need no education. Yeah. Yeah. Right. That's so it. I basically had to go to Sasquatch. I didn't beg them, but I, I, I asked them in a very like, could you, I know this is going to be a left field thing that you're probably going to be like, oh, fuck, really? Could you guys please. <laughs> consider whether you could do this song because i can imagine that you would be able to transform a song that nobody on earth who's ever heard a classic rock radio station wants to hear again into something that people would want to listen to um but i had to ask because that you know the, the record's feeling up and i'm going nobody's fucking taking that song you know <laughs> and so same <laughs> yeah. thing with back same thing with back in black i mean i i when i was when I would, again i went to I went to Best Very Ellison and and proposed that to them because I'm like, I know you guys are good enough as musicians that you could find a cool way to do something with this um, because it's back in black. And who's going to think to themselves, you know, we should cover one of the most played rock songs of all fucking time. Let's just let's let's try and do let's let's try and do a, a new and updated like let's improve on that like come on nobody nobody's having that thought so in some cases it's an ask and often it's the most recognizable favorite song uh, on a record or you know like 
the biggest hit on a record, the biggest couple hits for sure. That's interesting. And actually makes a lot, makes a lot of sense. You know, I was thinking it'd be just some little dinky song. Like you you mentioned that, you know, some of that shit from the wall, but I guess stuff that's Those are easy. touched. Yeah. Those are easy Cause there's no pressure. There's no, no pressure. Nobody's yeah. going to be like, you destroyed that, you know, 44 second connective track. And, you know, at the tail end of side D of the wall, like nobody, nobody cares, but they're going to care what you do with back in black. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I, I, one of the things that I appreciated so much about the back in black redux is I love that album, but I'm so fucking tired of it. Um, <laughs> just like on an old, like I, I always compare the two. I always say back in black and appetite for destruction. Like I love those albums, like front to back, but sure. holy fuck, have we heard those things to death, you know, but to have another way to listen to it is so cool. Yeah, you know, just a front to back because because you still like, the songs are still great. You know, it's still yeah. an awesome record. Yeah, uh, but yeah, it's 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 such a cool way to revisit records. Awesome. Well, I mean, I yeah, I agree. And the, the, again, the the genius for that the, the spark of inspiration goes back to the label's original owner. I mean, he he came up with something, and I don't know how I don't know how much he knows how brilliant that <laughs> that that <laughs> idea was at the time. But it, it really is a differentiator, and it and it and it changes the whole tribute album thing into something totally unique. It's really more like going back to your own to one of your favorite albums, like you just said. You said it perfectly. Yeah. Having a new way to listen to something uh, that you love, respect. Maybe don't listen to it all the time the way you, <laughs> right. what you do with certain other things. <laughs> no, it's great, and uh, and it's something I totally appreciate. It's it's it's, it's funny because it's like a simple concept, but it's so effective and cool. Um, we should actually mention that just because the Kickstarter is over for Soundgarden doesn't mean people have lost their opportunity to buy the record, right? That is true. Yeah. So we basically always try to do something special on the Kickstarter. Um, we did some bundles. There were some test pressings available. Everybody who ordered on the Kickstarter got uh, like a little special poster that they're going to get that won't be available any other way. But uh, when we start kind of our, our, our standard album lead up, which is about, like I said, mid-May or so, um, we're going to have pre-sales available uh, on our own uh, web shop and on our band camp where folks can order a couple different vinyl versions, the CD version, um, digital and so forth. Uh, yeah. And those would be available for pre-order once we start dropping uh, the singles uh, leading up to the album release. So, yeah. We, like I said, ho hopefully the, you know, the kicks, the, the folks who got involved and, and supported the Kickstarter feel like they got something special. They got kind of like an advanced chance uh, mm -hmm. to be part of that. And they're going to get stuff that, that nobody else is getting, but everybody's going to have a chance to have the music, which is the whole reason we do the records in the first place.
So there you have it. That was my conversation with Jad Schickler of Magnetic Eye Records. He's the label director. I like that title. I want one of those titles myself. The title of the song you just heard, that was Let Me Drown by Ufo Mamut, actually originally by Soundgarden, covered by Ufo Mamut. Impressive still is the fact that I just said that name, which I assume is the right way, two times in a row. I hope you're impressed as I am. Uh, That, of course, comes off of the super unknown Redux. It's the only single available from it at current uh, as I as I produce this episode. There was a, another one released from the Best of Soundgarden record, uh, that one Rusty Cage, but I don't have that available to share with you. But you can find it out there on the internet. It rules, no big surprise. I'm going to play you some Witch Tripper at the end of this episode here in just a couple of seconds, so you'll hear how good they are if you haven't heard it yet. I want to thank Jad for taking the time to talk to me. Of course, this magnetic eye records episode is part of the monthly label spotlight that i've been doing this year so far it's been bridge nine records hex records riding easy records youngblood records and now magnetic eye who will be next i don't know but i've got my eye on some other labels that i absolutely love again magnetic eye is full 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 of excellent records bands releases Plenty of stuff for you to check out. The Redux series is a great place for all of you to start. Uh, I'm done trying to sell it to you. If you're not sold by now, then I think there's no hope. But as you heard, that Ufo Mamut cover, it's uh, it's not like the original. It goes out on several limbs. It takes you for a walk. And uh, that's why I'm trying to keep... Well, that's why I think everything's cool. But that's also why I'm trying to keep my talking parts here at the beginning and end of this episode short. Because the songs I'm playing are long. The interview is longer as well. So let's wrap it up. And let's do that with a track from Witch Ripper. Like I said, this song came out at the tail end of last year. And I simply cannot get enough of it. I've been looking for an excuse to play it on an episode of Getting It Out podcast for literally months. And now the time is finally here. I wanted to put it at the end because it's pretty long as well. This one is called Enter the Loop. And you're going to love it maybe as much as I do, if that's possible. So thank you for listening. Listen to Magnetic Eye Record. Check out the Redux series. Bye-bye.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.